Many times we compare the loss you experience when going through divorce to the loss of losing your spouse to death. This week, I have a very special interview with Megan Cantanzaro. She is an incredible single mother of five awesome kids whose faith and determination in the midst of tragedy is truly inspiring. I hope you will gain newfound confidence and motivation to overcome the challenges in your life as Megan shares her experience. So I have a special person on the podcast with me today, Megan Catanzaro, and she is going to share her story. Um, it's quite an adventure, Megan. So welcome and please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, children, work, et cetera. Um, it's an adventure for sure. I am Megan and I am a widow with five children. Um, I've lived all over the United States. I was born and raised in New Hampshire and met my husband there and we moved to Utah and then we moved to Alaska and then we moved to North Idaho and then we moved to North Dakota and then we moved back to Utah and then he passed and, um, from there, we've lived in California and Utah and South Carolina now. So I've been all over the place trying to, you know, raise our family. I didn't realize all of the <laughs> yes. places you've lived. Yeah. You've just seen the whole country and that's awesome. How many children do you have? I've got five children. So I've, my oldest is, oh, numbers are hard. Okay. Current ages. We have a son at 16, a daughter at 12, a son at 11, a daughter at nine, and a daughter at six. Wow. Tell us a little bit about your story, your husband passing, and as much as you want to share. Okay. So after we had our fifth baby, baby Reagan, and she was just born, and he was working um, rotations in North Dakota. So that means he would work for anywhere from three to six weeks. And he did that a majority of our marriage, actually. That's what he was doing in Alaska. And after we had our fifth kid, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I will suck it up and we will move to North Dakota because I fought going there because it's North Dakota. So we did. And uh, he was working for oil and gas. He was an um, electrical estimator. So when we first got married, he was an electrician. And he basically went up the ranks as high as you could get doing that. Just a community college education, which was amazing. No college debt or anything. He ended up making a very nice living for us. So we rented a townhouse in Dickinson, North Dakota. And there's so much to my story. So we had, we bought a house in Harrisville, Utah. Caitlin was born in 2007, like right before the economy and the housing market like crashed. So we had a, a rental home that we could not sell at all, no matter how many times we tried. So we fast forward living in North Dakota and our renters were not working out. So we decided to go in and get fixed up and put on the market again and see what would happen. Well, we sold it. And it was like, okay, that's great. And then we were like, well, what are we going to do? And we both like, we were only in North Dakota for six months. We're halfway through a lease, but we both felt like we needed to move like back to Utah. It was like, well, where are we going to go? Because we just sold our house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, uh, his parents 
had a rental home there in North Ogden and he talked to them and their renters really weren't the greatest anyway. And their lease was coming up to, to be done as well. So they talked to them, got them to move out and we decided to rent their house. So that was August of 2016 that we moved back down there and all five of our kids. So he he would work remotely from the house and only go back to North Dakota for like a week to check in on projects, which was fantastic. So we had six months of seeing him the most that we had all ever seen him our whole marriage. And that was 12 years because it was, it would have been 13 years in January. So he did that for August, September, October, and November, I think. But then he took off more time for the holidays. So he didn't go back to North Dakota, maybe the first week of January and our anniversaries in January. So he started to make plans for our anniversary because it was going to be 13 years and we didn't really ever do anything, but we were kind of, to be honest, we were in like a little bit of a rough patch, probably because of all the kids and kind of figuring each other out again for this like new way to live, like seeing him all of the time versus, Mm -hmm. you know, me basically running the house, our whole marriage, but I don't know. And marriages do that. They go through rough patches anyway, with, you know, anyway, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. that's not anything new. And so he was trying to do this surprise getaway and I hate surprises. So eventually I told him, or he told me what we were going to do. And we were going to go to Jamaica for like four days, I think. And his mom was going to come up and watch the kids and we were going to fly out and celebrate our anniversary and then come home. And so he'd gotten his mom to agree to do that. And she wanted to, they were living in California at the time and she wanted to come like a week early to like get the kids scheduled and whatnot. And I'm just like, what are you even talking about? Like, it's not that hard. They go to school like, (laughs) and you know, the area, it's not like it's new to you, but whatever. So. I drove down to Mesquite, Nevada and met up with them. So my father-in-law drove her to Mesquite. I picked her up and then we drove back. Oh man, I'm missing like a key component of the story. He had gotten sick. Like he got a cold sometime the week prior. And I was like, you got to get better because we're going on this vacation, like get yourself well. So he was taking a whole bunch of Robitussin and ibuprofen and all of this stuff. But he was like spiking a fever he would lose the fever. He would spike the fever. He would lose it. Like it was this cycle. And he called Instacare and they were like, "Eh, you know, you're fine. Just take some over-the-counter medication. We figured that he had the flu because that's what the symptoms were. Just the fever. And he was very, very tired. So I went down to pick up his mom Saturday and I talked to him Saturday night before we were going to bed and he was exhausted. And we talked about him going, bringing himself into the doctors the next day because he was just not doing well. Like he had sent me a selfie and he, he had sweat like dripping down his face. He was not well. So I had his mom and we talked and we made that plan. And then ah, the next day it was Sunday and I always brought the kids to church all the time. Like that wasn't, it was, it's something that I've done, whether he's home or not. Uh, getting all the kids ready to go to church was a thing because it was a way for me to like I just had to get to like the first hour of general meetings and then we had the kids classes so it was like okay I will get a little bit of a breather for at least an hour we are going to church yeah so 
um, every Sunday without fail when he's traveling, he always wished us a happy Sunday, you know, hope you get ready for church, you know, something to that effect. And I woke up Sunday morning and I didn't have any messages from him, which I knew that he wasn't feeling well. So maybe he was still sleeping. So I had texted him and, you know, said good morning, getting ready for church and whatnot. I think our meeting started at nine. I think it was early church and I still hadn't heard anything from him. So that was like a little, like what's going on type of a thing. And I, I kept texting him and texting him and I like in, in the middle of my texting, one of them was, are you dead? Like, just like, what yeah. are you doing? Right. Um, <laughs> so I make it through the first hour of church. So that's 10 o'clock and I still hadn't heard from him at all. So I went out to my car a little bit after 10 and I called his work to ask um, like, Hey, I haven't heard from Matt all morning. Could you just send somebody up to, to check on him? He wasn't feeling well. Um, yep. Great. I'll, we'll do that. And we'll get back to you. Okay. Thanks. So they get back to me. Yep. He's sleeping. Um, I'll have him call you when he wakes up. Okay. So I go through the rest of church and still don't hear from him. And that's when church was three hours at that time still. So I go through three hour church and I don't hear from him at all. And I get home. So that's 12 o'clock. We get home. I do lunch. I'm a little like, what is going on? Panicking a little bit because I think that's probably a tendency of my character more than anything to just, you know, assume the worst. But I call again and I'm like, I don't know the time, time frame at this point, probably one or two. Hey, uh, I haven't heard from Matt. Can you like go wake him up? Like this is, this is insanity. I need to talk to him. Go wake him up. Okay. Yep. We'll do that. So they do that. And I don't hear anything from anybody. And I call back and I don't hear anything. Nobody answers the phone. And at that point, it was like, okay, something's wrong. Yeah. And I've, it was such a surreal feeling. Matt's mom was upstairs watching TV with the kids. And I was downstairs in the, um, the office area, like sitting in the rocking chair. And it was just like, <laughs> like I knew, like half of me knew. Yeah. Knew something. Yeah. Not that, that something was like, was death, but it was, it was, maybe it was death, but I was like numb with knowledge, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. And I just started praying that I would get answers, that something would happen and like, that everything would be fine. And then I got up and I sat back in the chair and I looked out the window and the North Ogden police cruiser pulled up to the driveway like straight out of the movies wow yeah they came to inform you yeah and I knew yeah like it was confirmed like in that moment so I go and I answer the door and say hey is, are you making cat zero yeah can we come in for a minute and um and sit down and talk to you for a second. Yeah, sure. 
So I go to the kitchen, I sit down and he says, well, there's been a medical emergency. And part of me is like, there's only been a medical emergency. He's fine, but something's happened. But then he's just, he said, your, your husband has passed away. And it was just like, <laughs> like the world stopped and I had no idea <laughs> how I was going to keep going. And the kids just all remember that mom were was they crying. there too? Yeah, they were yeah. they were watching. They can remember the movie they were watching. I think it was Minions. <laughs> oh, perfect sure. Sunday afternoon movie. <laughs> <laughs> um and I I yeah, I had them all come over to me and I told them what had happened, but yeah, I told them and I was just crying. And they back when was eleven. And Reagan was 18 months old. So he's really the only one that, like, I think really comprehended what was going on. Yeah. And then we just all the, like, my mother-in-law was there and she was, she came over and she just like, um, held me as I like, just like stared off into space. Like this can't be happening right now. This is not, this is not happening. (laughs) I'm sure. So unexpected. He was young. Yeah. 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 So, and because he was so young, they had, you know, they did an autopsy to figure out what was wrong and um, it was pneumonia. So the, the cold slash flu, um, it took him in a week's time. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And I guess. Matt was loved by everybody that he met. He was kind and everybody's friend and just genuinely cared about everyone. So when they, everybody's work figured out what was going on and nobody, like they weren't allowed to contact me and they were very, um, and they were all angry. Like, why, why would it, why did it have to be Matt? Yeah. Like, there are plenty, like even they were saying there are plenty of the other, like any of us could have gone outside of Matt. (laughs) Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That is, oh, I can't imagine. That was a difficult, had to be. Yeah. Difficult, difficult day. So how did you move on after that day and keep going? (laughs) What, what got you through that? Matt's mother stayed with me for several months and that really was a huge help and I mean I had to take care of the kids Mm -hmm. (laughs) I couldn't just you know crawl up in a hole and ignore the world like they they had needs and that didn't stop so between his mom helping and being there just to like you know cry or just sit and do nothing and it was like minute by minute it wasn't even like day by day it was like okay let's just Let's get through breakfast. Yeah. Oh, but, I'm sure. You know, it was, it was stuff like that. What I a got blessing. Stuff. She was there at oh my that God. time yeah. and, and was able to stay. Yeah. I replay that so much. The fact that I was like, this is so dumb that you're coming back like a week before we have to go. Like why? Yeah. But it just, I can't, I tender mercy, like a hard thing was coming and I needed her. 
Yeah. So she was there. And then we got, I was told about a grief center close to us that they um, would have different groups, children that have lost parents. So there was um, like natural death or um, divorce or like suicide groups. So we started going to that, whichever kids wanted to go, I would bring them twice a month and they would be putting groups with other kids that had lost a parent or a dad for unexpected reasons. And then the only way that I can explain is it was kind of like the adults who was run like an AA meeting. Not that I've ever been to one, but I mean, I think we all know yeah, yeah. the setup for an AA meeting. Hi, my name's Megan. Um, my husband died X amount of days ago and everybody's alive still. Mm-hmm. And then I would talk about how he died. And it's so interesting that I was going through such a life altering trial and the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. And I would leave that place at the end of the hour and a half or hour and 45 minutes, however long it was feeling grateful for our situation because of the stories that the others would tell us. Really? Yeah. There was one, one mom there with a bunch of boys. It had, I think five years for her. She was still very much in it. Mm-hmm. And I just remember feeling so like sorry for her that she was still so sad and still not able to, to function really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go through like a weird loop. You see people like that and you're like, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I not feeling like that still? But I didn't want to feel like that. I don't know what makes my situation any different than hers because we were very similar, but she was not handling it well. And I was I was doing better. Mm -hmm. Amazing. That's how we got through a lot of the beginning stages of it. The kids eventually, Reagan was too little to go, but the other kids kind of, you know, phased out of it after a while. They just, they didn't want to go anymore, but it was a huge, huge healing balm for me. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. How long ago was that now that he passed away? Five and a half years now. So 18, 19, 20, five and a half years. How would you say that you are different now than then? I see things that need to be done and I, I do them. Like that's just the situation that I've been put in. Like I can't expect anybody else really to, to come in and save me. I have to either figure it out the best I can. And then if all that fails, then I, then I get help. There's that. And then the spiritual side of it, like we, I had a lot of confirmations of the savior and the, his love for every single one of us. I mean, the fact that his mom was there when that all happened, like that's, that's huge. A lot of things like that. It's, it's still been hard though. All of the questions, like, why did this happen? What did I need to learn? Why did this need to happen? Why are my kids suffering so much? What is going to, you know, what are they going to be like when they grow up? They don't have their dad anymore. All, you know, all of that. I don't think I lost my faith completely, but I, it was definitely, I went through a time of working on my relationship with Christ. And that's like, he's never going to (laughs) leave. Everything else will go crazy, but he's never going to leave. So. Wow. That is Unbelievable, Megan. What a beautiful witness of your faith and trust. 
in Christ and the most difficult circumstances, one of the most difficult things we can experience in life. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Oh, that is amazing. Looking forward, what do you see for your future for yourself and your children? Are you (laughs) open to another relationship? Oh my, um, I'm still in and out of therapy for that kind of stuff. So, (laughs) and I am still working through that because obviously I believe that men and women are supposed to be married and have companionship on earth. My heart still is very much in love with Matt, Mm -hmm. but I want, it's natural for people to want companionship and I want my kids to have somebody that can be another example to them and to be helpful and to have them see how relationships are supposed to be. Not that there aren't plenty of women that have not raised children without a partner. One part of me really wants the companionship and to live in a a normal family situation, even though, I mean, normal is not normal, but yeah. But I I feel very confident that I could do it all by myself Mm -hmm. and that my kids would be just fine. I am open. I understand that. (laughs) And I relate to that. I think many single women due to death or divorce can relate to that. I think once you've done it and you're in that situation and you figure out how to be a single mom, you do realize I can do this. Yeah. I can do this. Need you. Exactly. Want you sure need. I don't need you. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting until you are in that situation, you don't know that. And I'm sure I was single with three children. I can't imagine having five children and figuring that out. A second marriage is difficult, especially when you have a blended family or step-parent involved. It's it's difficult. I understand and relate. And I think many women will relate to that. What would you say to, you know, other women that are going through similar situation? Um, if they've experienced the loss of a spouse, what's your advice for someone dealing with that? Oh man, drop all your expectations. The lower the expectations, the, the less stressed you're going to be. Um, literally if you're, if you've lost a spouse and you have children, like keeping them alive is, is the line. I wholeheartedly believe that I have been given so much grace in raising my kids and that I've had so much heavenly help doing this by myself. It's yeah. Lowering expectations is key. Another thing that I've learned so much is like everybody, it was so easy for me to, to see other people's struggles, quote unquote, and be like, that is nothing. Like you have no idea. But through some humbling in the past five and a half years, I now embrace the fact that we are on our own paths. I don't get bitter or resentful when people are talking about their stuff, because I also don't, I don't like it when people are talking to me and they're complaining because I'm really like a lot of my friends just unload on me and I, and I'm apparently easy to talk to and just. a a comfort space for a lot of my friends. And I hate at the end of the conversations where they're like, Oh, I don't know why I'm telling you this. It's not like my husband's gone. And I don't like that because we all have our own struggles. And just because my 
struggle looks bigger doesn't mean that it is bigger. And I had this conversation with another friend of mine that they've dealt with cancer and their littlest daughter and how grateful I am that I lost a spouse and not having to deal with a kid have cancer. Mm -hmm. It's the paradigm there is insane. I could not imagine having to deal with that. And she couldn't imagine losing her spouse. We're all on our own journey and we just need to embrace it and find people that will laugh at your awkward jokes about your spouse dying. <laughs> find oh, people that, you know, because there's going to be awkward moments. It was the way that I have found healing is, I mean, what else are you going to do? A friend of mine was having a Halloween party, like a, a couple's Halloween party. And instead of feeling bad about it, I was like, well, I, you know, I was going to come, but Matt only wanted to be a ghost. So we're not going to come, you know? And she, and people just like, look at me like, what? Oh my gosh. You really just said that, but you got to find people that understand you and like hold them close and like, don't care. You can't care. Totally. I think that's really good advice. And I love your humor because if you don't laugh, you know, you cry. Yeah. And I think laughter is a good way to accept the reality that, you know, it is what it is, but at least if you can laugh at it, you can experience a little bit of joy. And I loved your thought that lower your expectations. You know, we all have this image of what we want our lives to be when we're young or when we're first married and what we think we make our plans. Mm -hmm about what we think. And it's so far off from reality. Most of the time (laughs) that yeah, it's it's hilarious or ridiculous, you know, like we just have no idea what life has in store. I think the sooner we can embrace and accept that idea that we may think we know what life holds for us, but we We have no no idea. And for sure, we're all going to be given those difficult challenges that we can somehow bear, you know, like your friend with a child with cancer. I agree with you. Most of the time when we hear other people's trials and we learn of the intimate details of it, we would take our own and run back home as fast as we can. We would never choose someone else's. And so somehow we're given what we can bear and what we can learn from and handle Mm -hmm. even when we don't think that's true. You know, so I love that advice. I know you talked a little bit about your faith and how you were comforted at the most difficult times, but what would you say about your relationship with God and your faith um, and how it's helped you over the last five and a half years? Well, I am a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And one of the things that they teach is the principle of eternal families. I am a convert to that faith and that principle is what converted me. I remember we get married in the temple. And at that time, after you were baptized as a member, you had to wait a year before you go to the temple to be married for time and all eternity. And I remember having dreams about being so worried that like we were going to, I remember I've been one dream. Of course, there's a lot of anxiety in me. So just take that too. But I had a dream that we had gotten into a car accident. And I remember thinking like, as we're in the car accident, oh my goodness, we're not sealed as a family yet. Because that 
obviously speaks to my soul, the importance of being a family after we die. Sometimes I feel shallow about, you know, I'm just using Matt's example to as a good person instead of like Christ's example, but he lived it. He was my Christ on earth, I guess, like in the flesh. Obviously he wasn't perfect, but he was, he tried really hard. And that's kind of the standard that I try to hold myself to. And it's helped with um, having compassion for other people and um, the 12 and a half, 12 and three quarter years that we were married, like he rubbed off on me a lot. I mean, I'm certainly not as happy and outgoing as he was, but I have come a long way. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be like very, very sassy and not in like a fun way either, but, and, you know, cup is half empty kind of a thing, but him rubbing off and just having the spirit of Christ all of the time, it just helps me keep going, Hmm. you know, and it's important and traditions are important and I kind of suck at all the other traditions, but my kids will have the, we go to church on Sundays tradition. So at least I've got that going for me. (laughs) That's wonderful. I think it's definitely one of the most important things we can pass on to our children is that tradition and our faith that Mm -hmm. it will get us through whatever life brings if we, you know, rely on it. So that's powerful. One question I had for you that I thought would benefit other women dealing with death or divorce is if you could go back and give yourself some advice soon after your husband passed Mm. away, um, what would it be? Not to worry so much. I read and listen to Jody Moore now. And something that she had said just recently was, you know, we can't fix problems that haven't happened yet. So worrying doesn't do anybody any good. And I think that's the number one thing you do in a situation like that. Mm -hmm. And it's still something that I do. So I need to stop. I need to like stop the worry way back when I've gotten to where I am now, whether or not I worried and it's not where I thought I was going to be nothing like I thought I was going to be. So don't worry. Take one day at a time, work on the problems that you can control in the moment, because it's really probably not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. I love that advice. I think (laughs) it's so true. It's much worse in our mind what we're projecting and the worry that that's causing. And if we can just pull ourselves back to the present. And I like what you said, that it was just getting through the next hour, the next meal, the next day of taking care of your children right after your husband passed away. I think it's good advice for every day. Like let tomorrow take care of itself. You do the best you can today and try to live in the moment if you can. And in the present, I think that's really good advice for all of us. Yeah. Probably should have warned myself that I was going to do a lot of dumb things and it's okay. Um, And not to worry about what other people are going to think of your dumb things. Oh, that's such good advice. Actually, (laughs) that is perfect. We're our worst critic. We're our worst enemy many times. And we beat ourselves up over, you know, perceived failures and mistakes. And you know what? Such is life. We're all figuring it out as we go. (laughs) Yep. I love that. I love your advice. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything that you have today. You have so much wisdom and I love that you take it with 
laughter. You share it with laughter, even the hard parts. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I mean, I have a story and nobody asked, so maybe now people will know. (laughs) I think that's awesome. Um, You have to get to a point where you feel grounded enough to be able to talk about it and share from your experiences, Mm -hmm. the things that you've learned. And um, I'm grateful that you have done that today with me. And I know you're going to help a lot of a lot of other women listening who are dealing with some heavy stuff. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.